welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Welcome back to the Define the Relationship podcast. I'm Ted. And I'm Darlene. And we are once again going to uh, dive into the work of Peter Enns, how the Bible actually works. And um, we're making quite, quite a bit of progress today. We hope to connect with chapter 10 and also get into chapter 11 if uh, we don't get too um, into it in chapter 10. But we're uh, I think we're book two-thirds of the way through the book and we can see the end. So... Um, so in this one, the chapter 10, the, the chapter title is Treasures Old and New, and Enns uses an image of basically uh, cleaning out the basement, culling the stuff that, uh, that we have, and thinking about how do we decide what will remain, what needs to get adjusted, and what will we toss out. And he says that that's a good image for how um, we deal with the Bible and how we process it, that um, we can only keep a tradition moving forward if we are always engaging in that process of deciding what's going to remain and what's going to be discontinued. Um, what what struck you about that? I mean, this is a bit of a theme that we've been we've been seeing a lot in this book, that there's this constant task of looking at what is and figuring out what makes sense going forward. Um, is yeah. there anything that kind of that we're learning here that's maybe a little bit of a, a new angle on this or? Yeah, I think um, what, what's exactly what you said, that that reinforcement of um, old treasures and um, kind of what to get, what to call, what to say, well, this, this remains, this is a treasure we want to hang on to. Um, we have all kinds of stories about that right now because we're doing some renos in our house and, um, and different people see it. We see it differently sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think what is becoming more and more solidified in my mind is, is how, this remains the question. This remains the wrestle. It has always been that way. Um, and we're not just making tweaks. Like I think in both of these chapters, chapters 10 and 11, um, ends walks through some pretty significant shifts in, in the tradition, um, which started as a Jewish tradition. And we cannot, uh, we cannot forget that. Mm -hmm. that the Jesus movement is is essentially birthed out of the womb of a Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the ways that, that God is reimagined, that faith is reimagined, is, um, is, is changed significantly. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, the, the the biggest one, which is in the second chapter, is although this whole thing about like the tabernacle, the temple, 
mm-hmm. being, this is where God's presence is. This is like, there's like much time in the Bible spent on the importance of the tabernacle, like chapters and chapters of how it was built and, and why it was so significant and so central. And then, you know, Paul, the coming of Jesus, um, really decentralizes that. And that's Mm -hmm. a, I don't think we get how, what a big deal that Mm -hmm. is. (laughs) So it's, it's, and that, I I guess like maybe I went off on a bunch of different tangents, but, but I think in, in our time now, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of wrestle around, well, that's going too far. You know, we're now we're off track and I, um, I think that is, will, that will forever be our, our engagement, our wrestle. Yeah. So we were just talking before about how significant that question, and it comes up in this chapter, but that's a really important question. And a way, in a way, the tone that we ask the question and the question is, uh, at what point, um, well, sorry, I, I think I had it, uh, I want to say it properly here. Um, buh, 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 buh. I totally can't find it now. I mean, basically, the que- I mean, I'll just paraphrase what I think the question is. The question is, um, at what point does the tradition have to be rejuvenated? And at what point does it cross a line and become a compromise of the tradition? And it becomes something completely different than what the tradition is meant to be. And that... Um, often that question gets asked kind of in a negative way to say like, oh, you're, I think we might be getting off track here. You're changing. You're changing things. But I think ENDS is coming to us and saying, oh no, that's exactly the question we need to be asking. And there's always going to be a wrestle between what is kept and what is reimagined. And in some cases, what gets actually put aside gets rejected because that's also a part of this this ongoing tradition. And so that isn't something we should feel like, oh, we have to be careful. It's more like we have to engage it and we have to come at it with wisdom. And we have to invite, I think, in the in the in the, the Christian tradition, there's a sense that we're not on our own in this. We do it in community. The Holy Spirit is actually active in the process. It's something beyond ourselves and we must engage it. You had, you had said at the beginning of this, like, at what point do we have to rejuvenate it? And I think at every point, mm-hmm. like there's never a point where we, well, I don't, I think now is a time where we don't rejuvenate. It's like, this is what our, um, our tradition has always done and must always do. So there's never a point where we say, yeah, I think we can like stop reimagining now or i think we can stop rejuvenating yeah (laughs) right yeah yeah exactly one thing that really um that i i just thought was an interesting way of putting it um early on in chapter 10 as he's talking about i mean we're really moving in the book we're moving into the the new testament period and we're, we're we've been moving into how jesus 
reinterprets and reimagines the tradition and the people who write about Jesus and stuff. And, and there's this, um, this, this sentence, the early followers of Jesus, though they too engaged the tradition creatively did so for a very different reason. Remembering about the Babylon, Babylonian captivity and where the people of that time were asking, well, God seems to be abandoning us. What does this mean? Where is God? Who is Mm -hmm. God? But for the followers of Jesus, it's a bit of a paradox because they're trying to wrestle with how God has suddenly become really close. God is actually present in Jesus Mm -hmm. in a fleshly way. And so in a sense, they're trying to reimagine this from a completely different perspective. Yeah, I think um, that was one of the things that struck me also in that chapter was how um, in the, the coming of the Messiah was a very unexpected thing for the Jews. Um, they did not, they were, they were not expecting what came. Yeah. They were expecting something, right? but this was not what it, they were expecting. That's right. And so all the, you know, do you want to say a bit more about like what they were expecting and how, Jesus was very different than what they're expecting. Like, is there something specific that we should be focusing on? Well, I think, um, I mean, one of, one of the stories in, in the chapter, which was a new interpretation of a very common story of the Jesus getting mad and, you know, overturning the tables in the temple Hmm. and the, there's this anger at the money changers and the animals Hmm. and, what, um, there's been so many interpretations of that story over time and a couple kind of stick in my mind, but what, what was new for me in this one was that people, Jews were coming from far away, right? And Mm -hmm. they had to, this, the money changers are there because they had to come and exchange their money from their areas Mm -hmm. from their pagan areas to like the shekels with the Caesar on it. Okay. Right. And then the animals are for the sacrifice Mm -hmm. and, and Jesus is, this is a deeply symbolic story of kind of the Messiah, like overturning that system. Hmm. This is now there's a new system that is, and we're doing away with, um, with the, the sacrifices and with the law, the, the law essentially being at the center of, of that and, um, the presence of Jesus being, um, being at the center and Mm -hmm. the tabernacle being decentralized. So, um, yeah, I think that was, it's so hard for us to s- step into that story and understand how, how scandalous, um, that would have been for a people for whom the tabernacle meant everything. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was where, it was where God, like, it was where God was. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like we're we're jumping around a lot between. I think we're getting into chapter eleven, which is fine because I think we're trying to think of them together. Yeah. Um, just uh, kind of to bring that story back into the chapter ten context, where he's talking about the four gospels, like uh, the fact that um, part of this reimagining process of the early followers of Jesus is that they tell the story of Jesus in four diverse ways. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting how that particular story and ends actually points to that particular story that in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, that story comes during the week that leads up to Jesus's crucifixion. And so right, right. it's such a radical display that Jesus does at the temple with overturning the tables. Many people believe that that specific act was very significant in him ending up on the cross. Like this was sort of like a final, a final blow. And he was, he was actually taking on the system, um, in a, in a very overt way. And this ended up getting him killed. And in the gospel of John, this story actually ends up being right at the beginning of the story. And, um, ends makes the point. He said like, why did who why did the writer of the gospel of john do that like what what's going on there there's there's this was a decision that was made by the writer to put it there and um ends kind of sort of surmises that if that really happened that way in terms of chron- the chronology jesus would have never like lasted very long like if he would have overturned the tables immediately like the the book of john seems to suggest that that would have gotten him killed a lot quicker Mm-hmm. than uh than it was but it, it just uh, again um this shows how the 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 followers of Jesus are really trying to communicate different things and different emphasis of what's going on and establishing different ideas and yeah like um, the the book of John John is is his theme is like to show Jesus's um sovereignty yeah and at every point, that's the lens that John is kind of going after. Yeah. And so, you know, that maybe that is why, one of the reasons why John might have put that in a different, a different order. Yeah. It just, to me, it just, again, reemphasizes how much um, conversation is there in the scriptures with each other. There's these perspect- different perspectives all the time. And you can't just simply well, let's just harmonize them. Let's just, you know, it's just all one story and it all fits together. It's kind of like, it's not... They're not meant to be harmonized. Not so simple. Um, And and in fact, not so simple. And that's, that's, that's actually against the wisdom. Right. Right? Yeah. You, you, you can't, you can't... Oh, yeah, forget it. (laughs) You can edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, um, in the in the section of chapter ten, there's a section called "Something About Jesus That Doesn't Get the Attention It Deserves," and ends talks about the wisdom piece again and how um, I was actually surprised by this. Just how often the language of wisdom is used in relationship to Jesus and. Um, it reminded me a bit about how sometimes that aspect of Jesus gets 
um, maybe written off isn't the right way of putting it, but it's sort of a bit of a, um, you know, some people will hear people kind of in the culture um, around us say things like, well, obviously Jesus was a wise teacher. And that gets interpreted by people of faith is, well, he, he's more than just a wise teacher. He's, you know, he is a savior. He, um, he's the Messiah. You know, you're, you're devaluing who Jesus is by calling Jesus a wise teacher. And ends kind of sort of flips that here and says that, well, actually, there's a lot of talk about the wisdom of Jesus. And um, this isn't just some way of, of uh, reducing who Jesus is, ends is saying that this is actually a central part of who Jesus is, that Jesus is wise and represents wisdom. Mm-hmm. What, what struck you about, about that? Did uh, anything jump out at you about that aspect? I mean, what came to mind initially just is, I think, going through this book, the ends emphasis on wisdom has influenced how I feel like just personally, every time that I now open the Bible, I feel very conscious of this invitation to wisdom. And it's, it's, it's a fresh lens that I, I feel has actually like shifted something inside myself Hmm. as I, engage with the scriptures. Um, I was just noting, I was just feeling that, um, just yesterday as we were like reading a text and feeling like I'm, (laughs) it's changing how, Mm -hmm. how I'm engaging it. And can you say a bit about what, what it changes? Like what, like what difference does it make? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I can articulate that very well right now, except to say that it feels like it's increased the sacredness of, of the act of reading. Hmm. And that I'm, I'm also, I'm reading a book right now for my, for my other studies. And, and I, and that's also kind of aligning with this book from ends as well. And what, what's that book that you're reading? Just uh... language for God in a patristic tradition. Okay. And um, yeah, I I think it's coming at a good time. There's some synergy between the two books. That one is a bit more more academically oriented, but um, yeah, I it's it's. It, I don't know what to say more, except hmm. that it's impacting how I'm, um, that there is wisdom. Like in this other book, everything, the early church um, fathers and mothers in their interpretation of scriptures, they there was this understanding that everything you read is meant for something good, to teach something, to be some, something good. Hmm. And so that's like the, that's again, like, um, look, look for it, search for the wisdom when something, Mm. when something isn't aligning or when something is different, this is like for, um, this is for something 
good and uh and so the search for wisdom becomes a bit more like oh this is mm. fun you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these problematic passages it's not they're not problematic they're fun they can yeah. um really invite this sacred responsibility and this reimagining has felt freeing yeah yeah that's that's a that's a good way of putting it i know one of the things i've noticed that um Specifically this summer, as we've been walking through the lectionary in our in our gatherings as a church, we've been um, spending a lot of time in the Gospels of Matthew. And um, part of the, the wisdom piece for Jesus that ends highlights here is how he's taught so much in parables. He said there's 40 distinct parables in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And parables are the opposite of clear sort of point by point teaching on something. They're very mysterious and um, they're, they sort of beg us to play with them and sort of try to figure out what's going on there. And one of the things that I've been kind of noticing in myself in approaching stuff is I'm less prone to think about when I come to a teaching of Jesus or a story or a parable to kind of think like, well, what's the right interpretation of that? Like, right. is there, I've got to find the right interpretation. And sometimes um, people have very, very different perspectives on what could be going on in, um, in a particular story. This past week, we were talking about the, the, the connection between Jesus and the Canaanite woman who invited Jesus to heal her daughter. And there's kind of a, it's a bit of a, Jesus comes off as rude and dismissive of this woman and there's refers to her like she's a dog. And, you know, one commentator says that, okay, this is, this is clearly being dismissive. This is clearly referring to her as a dog. And another commentator comes to it and says, no, there's something more playful and more, more um, endearing happening here. What feels rude to us on the surface is actually, more of a bit of a dance between Jesus and this Canaanite woman. And he's drawing out her wisdom and her faith in this thing. And it's kind of like, well, maybe it's not about what is the right interpretation, but maybe we need to wrestle with different interpretations. And and maybe in different seasons, the one interpretation will actually impact us differently than in another season, you know? And so it, it feels a bit more like, oh, I don't have to be so caught up in what's the right way to approach this. So I agree totally. I'll push back just on one aspect of it. And that is that for, for me, maybe what the treasure that must remain, and now this sounds like I'm about to say something really clear, but again, from the other books that I'm reading for my studies is that, you know, where does, ev- is everything right? You know, so you're saying if we're not looking for the right one, is, is anything, is everything right? Just, it's just so individualistic. And I think, uh, one of the things we're also naming, um, in this time is that there have been interpretations of scripture that have been very toxic. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they don't all exist at an equal 
level right. at an equal playing field. Um, so the early um, interpreters, like in the first and second and third centuries, are are teaching me some treasures right now too. Mm-hmm. And one of the treasures is that um, God is good. Mm-hmm. And so any interpretation that that flies in the face of a good God mm-hmm. is to be rejected. Right. And so that's why like in that, in that um, parable that we engaged with last week about Jesus, if one of the interpretations is that sometimes Jesus is a jerk, then uh, it's like, well, no, that's actually not a possible interpretation because Jesus is exactly like God. Mm-hmm. And so wisdom invites us to play under the realm of the goodness of God. God is not um, an angry God. Right. Anger is actually impossible for God. So any of the passages in Scripture where where it is said that God's angry, we know that that's not actually possible, that God doesn't have a, um, well, the term, the theological term is anthropopathic. So anthropomorphism is like attributing human characteristics to God. Mm -hmm. And anthropopathic is like human passions. Mm. So, um, so anyway, sorry, I kind of mm. kind of got off track there a little bit, but I just it's also one way of kind of like it's not like everything goes. It's like in fact, a lot of the stuff that we've interpreted I think has been very damaging mm-hmm. and has killed people. Right. Um I would I would agree with everything you said and keep the the wrestle going here on on this particular thought. I think that Part part of that, too, though, can mean, um, like I like I liked this that uh, Brad Jersak was saying when we, when we had our conversation um, recently. How how did he put that again? I'm I'm losing my my train of thought. That oh man. Okay, I'm just gonna I'll go back to what I was saying and maybe it'll it'll come back to me. Um, I was thinking that sometimes what we what we see on the face of something like in this particular passage we were talking about like well as Jesus seems to be being a bit of a jerk um we we might kind of if we play with that idea mm-hmm. rather than sort of rejecting hmm. the idea that Jesus could be a jerk like there's just no way Jesus could be a jerk we could say but is it possible that Jesus might be going along with the idea of being a jerk to tease something out of a situation. And one of the things that I found kind of interesting about the particular story that we, that we were talking about last week, and I'm thinking about it in the context of our present time where we have people of color who are um, struggling and fighting for, um, for, a system that will treat them fairly and 
will bring them justice, there's, there's a passion, a struggle that they are continually kind of not giving up on. They're persevering. And there's a sense that you get with Jesus that Jesus is sort of drawing out this struggle from the Canaanite woman that she will not... She will not be turned away mm-hmm. by this person of Israel who's in the tradition of, of Israel. And he keeps playing up that, well, I'm actually here for the people of Israel. That's, what, that's why I came. And it's almost like Jesus is, is setting a bit of a oh, trap isn't the right word, but creating a ser- scenario where this woman will continue to push and push and say, yeah, yeah, that's true, but, yeah, that's true, but. And in the end, Jesus ends up saying, Wow, I don't know too many people that have the type of faith that you have. Yeah, and so yeah, Jesus wasn't being a jerk. Jesus was creating a tension that allowed something to draw out. And so I, I sometimes like as parents, you you do that with your kids. You 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 push. You you take a it's perspective like- that you don't really. M- be the devil's advocate, right? <laughs> you know, like be the Jesus advocate. Yeah. <laughs> Be the Jesus advocate. That looks like, wow. And it should be interesting, right? Wow. Jesus is like, it seems like mean what Jesus is doing. And in the end, what he's, what's rising up is he's elevating the voice of this nameless Canaanite woman. Yes. And, and praises her of having so much faith. Yeah. So, yeah, but I totally, but I totally like, I resonate with what you're saying is that there's a, um, and and maybe this is a good way for us to transition into talking a bit about chapter 11, because, um, there is, and this is something that I think is new that ends is talking about that. There's a sense that the coming of Jesus creates an environment where the, where the interpreters of the tradition start reimagining the tradition through the lens of the Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. This God becomes human and lives and ends up being crucified. And then I know next chapter 12, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Um, these, these aren't traditions that are, are, are being laid upon another tradition. This is an event that people actually experienced um, face-to-face experiences. And uh, in Paul's particular case, he didn't have a face-to-face experience with Jesus, but he had a, he had a, a religious experience with Jesus where Jesus met him on the road. And so this experience becomes a lens to interpret the tradition. And so some very radical things, shifts come out of that. So maybe we want to yep. move, move to that. Sure. So, um, so then that this chapter 11 is called reimagining God, the Jesus way. Um, and, uh, maybe the image, I, I think this is a really great image that, that ends reminds us of, and that is, um, Jesus teaches about how you don't put new wine in old wineskins because the old wineskins will not be able to hold the new wine. You need new wineskins. And this is a a beautiful metaphor of how the tradition, as it evolves and gets reimagined, it needs to be put into new 
into new forms and, and, and new ways of thinking. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's a real good setup for, um, for this chapter, uh, but all the different ways that the, the, the early Christians start reimagining the tradition and start putting it into new wineskins. Um, where, what would, what would you, which part, I mean, there's, I, I noted, um, that there are f- three areas that ends talks about being radically transformed by Jesus and, or the followers of Jesus. And that one is the law specifically. He talks about circumcision and the eating of unclean food mm-hmm. um, and how Paul interprets those things. There is Jesus and the temple, which you were talking about earlier, about the significance of how the temple was at the center of the of the Jewish worship, and then now the temple gets decentered by Jesus. And then the third the third one was land, mm-hmm. about where God is and possession of the land. And um, there's some very major reimaginings that are happening. Um, which which one do you want to pick up on that kind of you found most significant? Well, the one, um, the law that kind of kicks it off is, I don't know if this is maybe, maybe this is a theme running throughout each of them, but the, the marginalizing of the law or the decentering of it, as we've talked about it is like, what's happening there is not is is that our obedience so so the israelites for so long your obedience is to the law mm-hmm. and then what happens through jesus the huge shift is christ's obedience right mm-hmm. to to go through the crucifixion and mm. to kind of re kind of turn that entire system on its head. And so it becomes not about what you do to the law. It becomes what's been done for you mm-hmm. and you receive it. Mm-hmm. And that is like, that's, that's a major shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if that kind of runs through the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. Like, I, I this actually might be where he talks about it in um, in chapter ten when he's talking about the gospels. But um, I believe he talks about, for example, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And there's this uh, decentering of where worship happens. Yeah, and she asks, "Well, can you worship?" on the mountain or do you have to worship in the temple? And Jesus says, well, it's not about the mountain or the temple. It's about, um, authenticity in, in approaching God. And so there is like, um, this idea that we as humans have been created to connect to the, the creator who created us in worship. And Jesus sort of like knocks the walls down of the temple overturns the table of the system of the temple, you know, you can, whatever image you want to say and says, no, no, that's not what it's about. There's, there's access anytime, anywhere for anyone who approaches God 
in this this uh, true and authentic way, and um, that is a that is just an expanding of the tradition. Yeah, it's taking something so significant about tradition and saying like it it's it's not connected to this place or this these this people or this way of doing things, but it's much much larger than that, and that's a that's a huge thing that happens as they reimagine the tradition through Jesus's experience. Especially because, yeah, I mean, the heart of the tradition, the Jewish tradition, is the, was the Torah. And that, it just, it completely, it completely um, turned it around mm-hmm. without abolishing it. Yeah, but so, there's, I, so there's a bit of a... It's a bit tricky there, right? Because one could read this reimagination as being a rejection of everything that came before. Yeah, and again, it's like it's not it's not black and white. It's not like bad, good. Right. Now the Torah bad. No, it's not. It's like it's not it's not enough. It's not it's it's fulfilled in in Jesus. So that's the entrance. It's not that the the Ten Commandments, we just check them out. It's like, this. it's not, it didn't work to bring that goal, that goal of, you know, whole, wholehearted living, to put it in a current, um, in current language. It's like the way to wholeness is through Jesus. The way to wholeness is not by doing everything hmm. right. right. It's not by your obedience to the law. It's by accepting that Christ was obedient and kind of like took on all those, um, all of that sin and death and oppression. And we're invited to, to, um, to let it save us. Hmm. And so we don't don't have to worry about obeying the law anymore. Like that doesn't matter. Is that what, is that what it's saying? No, it's, it's not that. I think I was going to say before that I feel like we're still fighting this hmm. reimagination. Um, what do you mean by that? I think many, many people in our community have been so damaged by, by this um, continued kind of thinking that, that we need to, you know, if we do this, then this. Hmm. If we follow these things, then we're Christians. We're in. Right. If we don't do these things, then God is going to be mad. Right. Um, we yeah. have very clear, we black and white kind of um, histories, not not so long histories, current. Yeah. And so... So I we're, think we're, we're still... not unlike the Israelites right. in a sense. Like we, like Enns talks about how the Israelites understood, well, they were given the land and you can't stay in the land if you aren't obedient to the law. If you disobedient to the law, you lose the land. And they were always kind of in this struggle between getting the land and losing the land and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And then Jesus comes along and says, it's not about the land. It's about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is not some place geographically. 
It's not it's, about the land. It's not about the temple. Yeah. It's not about the Torah. I'm yeah. looking for something deeper, right. a deeper transformation. Yeah. And that is ambiguous and diverse. And we fight it. Mm-hmm. I think we're still fighting it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, that's probably and just good. just to you want to say you more know, about that? put one more point on that yep. like um you know for the for the Jewish faith the law was you know of utmost importance but we also have to remember that even before the law was given to Moses Abraham was there God. Right you know, was with Abraham and gave Abraham a promise and Abraham lived pre-law. Yeah. So Paul kind of points that out. Like mm-hmm. he's like the, obviously the law wasn't necessary because Abraham was before the law. And so faith was, you know, only faith was necessary. Paul is kind of like bringing out this, um, um, this invitation, like faith is the foundation. Faith is like, there's something deeper than the law. There's something deeper than the temple. There's something deeper than all the land, all this, all this stuff. So, um, that's Paul reimagining for the people to say, you know, you think the Torah, you think this is like the heart, the center. And I'm telling you, there's a new heart. Hmm. There's a new center. But it's also interesting that, and, and, and picks this up. He says like at the very end, children of Abraham. And he says that even in the new Testament, you have this wrestle mm-hmm. where Paul is saying that, well, it's all about faith. Look at Abraham. It's all about faith. And then James comes along and right. says, well, yeah, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Why look at Abraham. And so here <laughs> they are having this, this, um, intermural squabble in a way. I mean, and, and, and says it's almost as if James is thinking about Paul's teachings as he's writing this. Yeah. And he's saying, okay, but let's, let's, there's a tension here between faith and works and they both appeal to Abraham. It's a, it's a, it's both maddening and um, kind of freeing to see this happening there in the inspired word of God that is the scriptures. And, uh, and it's sort of like, well, sounds like here we are 2000 years later, we are still given the task as a church to, to wrestle with these things and wrestle with the tradition. And, um, you know, what's that going to mean for us today? Well, yeah. And maybe, maybe we should not in this, um, episode, but maybe we should spend some time talking about like, What's, what's the upheaval like that we're wrestling with? Hmm. I mean, we're engaging with this book and we're talking about biblical kind of upheavals, but we've got lots of upheavals and, and we see things differently. And, Hmm. you know, some people, we think some people aren't being true to the gospel and, other people think we're not being true to the gospel, you know? Um, 
yeah, I would, I mean, I think <laughs> it's got, it would be kind of good to go. Okay. So how do we deal? Let's, let's get super practical. Yeah. How do we deal yeah. right now? Yeah. And as I say, that's why we get paid the big bucks, Darlene. <laughs> continue to deal with it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place. I think we covered a lot today. Uh, next episode, we're going to continue with what it's like to reimagine through the eyes of Jesus and thinking about uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then uh, I think we'll close off the book with the last two chapters, the following episode, and then maybe we will start the follow-up of the follow-up. So we'll uh, get into what we talked about today. And we're still holding out a little bit of hope. We have a bit of an in um, with maybe um, through Bra- our relationship with Brad Jerzak. He's invited Pete Enns to do the forward to his next book on the Bible. And we're hoping that maybe, uh, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And we might be able to bring Pete Enns, the the actual Pete Enns, into this podcast. And we can wrestle with him and and uh, see what, what we get from that. Wouldn't that be fun? Or maybe if that doesn't work, we'll just get Darlene's dad to join us, and then we can say we had Pete Enns on our podcast as well. <laughs> that would be fun too. <laughs> <laughs> Might even be more fun. <laughs> Thanks for taking time to uh, wrestle with us, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.